This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Do you remember Yellow Book? If you do, it's probably because of the work that Gordon Henry did while he was the CMO of the company. During his tenure, he helped the company grow from 500 million to 2 billion in revenue. And he took the company into the digital world, pushing from doing less than 10 million to nearly 250 million in online business. Clearly, he's got some marketing chops and he's using them now as the chief strategy officer at Thrive Inc. Today, Gordon is focused on helping small businesses grow and succeed. And on this episode of Marketing Trends, he explains how Thrive is making that possible. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, and I am joined by special guest, Gordon, what's going on? Having a great day. How are you doing? It is going good. We are going to be talking all things Thrive. Uh, we're going to talk about the transformation, not a digital transformation, but a personal transformation from CMO to chief strategy officer. This will be fun because, you know, we talked to a lot of CMOs about kind of uh, what's next beyond being a CMO and you were a CMO for, f- for five years and then transitioned to the chief strategy officer role, which is going to be fun. And, uh, and we're going to talk maybe a little small business and a bunch of stuff in between. So first, how did you get started in marketing? Well, it's great to be here, Ian. Thank you uh, for having me on the show. So um, I actually started my career as a journalist. Um, I uh, was working in the newspaper business, then in magazines. Uh, it was a Time magazine for a while, a long time ago in the 80s, uh, writing about business. And I decided to go to business school to learn more about business. I went to Wharton here in Pennsylvania, where I live now outside Philly. And when I um, left there and I, I got into business, I found I, I loved marketing and I ended up practicing marketing really for about the next 25 years. And uh, loved it. But as along, along the way, I got very involved also in things like mergers and acquisitions and business development and other initiatives uh, about how our grow our company to thrive where I am now. And um, this led to this strategy role, which is um, it's really about finding new ways to grow and, and kind of working on the business, not just in the business. Yeah, I love that. And it's a classic small business mantra too, which I, I think is funny, right? It's it's also advice that you probably could be giving to your customers. Definitely. You know, the all the small businesses that you work on that somebody needs to be working on the business 24-7 and it can't just be you working in the business. So tell me a little bit about your role at Thrive. Sure. So, um, you know, as I said, it's a CSO, Chief Strategy Officer. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, working on the business and, and how we can grow the business really. And I focus a lot on, new channels. Um, we have some excellent traditional channels, which is really our field sales force and our telephone sales force. We have uh, somewhere around 1,500 salespeople. Um, but we are increasingly fine. We need to speak to our customers kind of when and where, when and where they're ready. Um, that can be online. That can be an event. Um, that can be through another company they do business with who maybe we partner with. Um, that can mean as a referral. You know, Customers often ask, friends, neighbors, other businesses, who do you do business with? And we want to be the one they recommend. Um, you kind of need to enable customers more and more to find you um, rather than just you always finding them. You know, it's, it's not always about when you are ready to reach them, it's, uh, reach out to them. It's, it's about when they're ready to look for the product or service you're offering. So we try to be 
you know, as available to them as possible. We've talked on the show before about the idea of like how how tough it is marketing to small businesses just because it's such a, you know, it's such a different sale than any other, you know, type of uh, type of sale. You know, I think, you know, in, in business, you know, it's or B2B and enterprise, you know, it's going to be extremely complex in B2C, you know, it's either, you know, maybe it's more straightforward in some ways, but maybe it's harder in others. But small business is like the ultimate blend of both, where you have these really, really tough decisions with someone who is extremely busy. And like, we like to say we're busy and like B2B, but we're nowhere near as busy as you are in a small business. There's just not enough, uh, not enough hands. So how do you look at, you know, adding value to the small business community? So I should say, first of all, you know, we, we are, um, you know, big fans and, and, and missionaries around small business. We believe, you know, small businesses are really the backbone of America. Um, you know, you go to any sort of small or medium-sized town in America and go to the Little League game or Memorial Day Parade, and it's usually sponsored by the small businesses who've been there for years. And, you know, often people grew up in that community. So we're big fans of uh, small business. And as I'm sure you know, you know, when you read the you know Department of Labor statistics, something like ninety seven percent of the jobs in America are people working for small businesses. So small businesses are very, very important um, to the economy. And you know we we have found over these um, you know past decade that you know the economy in America has changed a lot with the advent, uh, particularly of the smartphone, really. Uh, we We all kind of live on our smartphone. And you know bigger businesses uh, have gotten, uh, amazingly good at communicating with people through their smartphone, uh, but small businesses not so much. Um, you know, they're very good at you know fixing your roof or mowing your lawn or painting your your walls inside or out or what have you, fixing your car. Um, but you know, they're not great marketers and they're definitely not great you know using technology to market to their consumers. And uh, you know, that's what we're really here to sort of solve. You know, an example I like to give people: think about pizza topic everybody loves. Um, and, you know, the pizza category um, is actually shrinking. The independent pizza owners across America, you know, your local kind of Bella Italia or Mamalioni or whatever your local pizza place is called, um, you know, they may make great pizza, but they're not very good at marketing to people on their smartphones. Meanwhile, Domino's uh, has become, you know, the preeminent sort of marketer in the space. And if you ever use the Domino's app, uh, it's an incredible app. And, you know, most people kind of fill in the pizza they like and the toppings and so forth. And when it's time to, you know, order tonight's pizza and it's 630 and your kids are hungry, uh, you know, a lot of people, they'd like to go to their local pizza place because the pizza is really good there. But it's kind of a hassle when you call the guy often, you know, they're, they put you on hold. They sometimes maybe lose your order. You got to drive down there and pick it up. Meanwhile, if you click that Domino's button, you just say, you know, order the same thing as last time. It's exactly right. It's exactly out in a certain amount of minutes and it's in your house in 30 minutes. And so Domino's is growing by, um, I think, double digit percentages year over year. Their stock over the past five or 10 years is up thousands of percentage points. And they're just really dominating that category. And it just shows how the local guy, even with a good product, really has to be a lot easier to do business with. Um, then, and he's just getting sort of out, you know, marketed by larger companies like Domino's and you could use Uber, many Amazon, obviously many other examples. Um, so we try to speak to the small business person and kind of tell them this, you know, difficult story, which is like, you guys got to get better at speaking to your consumers because people are just not 
going to do business with you if you're hard to do business with. And the bar just keeps getting raised. Our expectations keep getting raised because of those great marketing companies like Uber and Domino's and Amazon that we're used to. Um, and so we try to tell them this story. And, you know, the way we speak to them is, you know, we put a lot of content out online. Um, we show up at a lot of events. Um, we, we try to help them find us somewhere. Um, sometimes it's our salesperson knocking on their door. Um, and then, you know, as I was saying, they're often not ready to buy uh, when we're ready to talk to them. So uh, once they've identified themselves as interested, um, you know, we continue to try to send them uh, communications to get them smarter and smarter, give them opportunities to demo our software. And uh, eventually, hopefully they do decide to buy. You know, what our software does, just because just we haven't tackled that, is it really allows the customer to small business to sort of get a job, whatever that job is, you know, perform the job, communicate with their clients, and get paid all in kind of one platform. Um, and so they can run the business really from their phone. You know, it's an app. Uh, or, uh, you know, through their computer, so, you know, software loaded on their computer. And it gives them all those capabilities. And so uh, it's, 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 it's a CRM at its core, but it's got a lot of other communication capabilities. And I think what small businesses find they really love about it is it does help them get organized because many small businesses, for the reason you said, you know, aren't always as organized as they'd like to be. Um, and to have all the information about each client in one place, and they can easily look up you know, Gordon Henry, and they find, you know, when did they first communicate with you? Uh, when did they go out to your house to give you the estimate? When did you sign the uh, invoice or, or, or estimate? Uh, when did you pay? Was there a, a follow-up job? So on and so forth. So it's, uh, it's really a good way for small businesses to um, organize themselves. If you need to twist my arm to talk about marketing pizza for the next 45 minutes, like far be it from me to stop you. Because I think that that was, that was a brilliant example. Um, and it goes to you know, one of the challenges that, you know, a lot of the marketers that we talk to on this show have is conveying the simplicity, conveying that, you know, crystal clear customer journey of like, you know, what is, um, what does the customer really want? It's like, they just want to feed their kids and not worry about anything on Friday night, right? Like, and, uh, and the fastest way to do that and the easiest way to do that um, so they can, whatever, spend time with their family or, you know, go to the gym or whatever it is. Um, and I think, I think it's a great point about, you know, how do, how do small businesses, you know, compete against that type of stuff? And you have to compete probably a little bit asymmetry, but with technology, they can, they can do stuff like that. Um, you know, there used to be, uh, a big yellow book with a directory that you would go on Friday night and, and put your, uh, put your finger down and, and go to, uh, you know, triple a towing is the one that you would choose first. Cause it was three A's and it was the beginning of, uh, in a big yellow book, you worked a bunch on, you know, a company that did that. Can you share, um, share some information about your role at Yellow Book and kind of that that transformation to to now because I think that for our customers who and for our marketers who 
maybe didn't grow up using those type of tools. Like this was the, you know, source of truth when you were looking for a small business back in the day. Um, and many people still still use that sort of thing. But the vast majority of that is, you know, transformed to online. So, yeah, the uh, the product category was called Yellow Pages. As you said, if you're uh, sort of under 35, you probably don't have that much familiarity with it. But if you're over 35 and certainly over 55, you have a lot. And um you know, the I'll talk about the history in a minute, but when you talk about yellow pages today, printed yellow pages, um, there is still uh, a significant business there. It's a uh, it's about a billion, billion and a half dollars in, in revenue still associated with that category. And there's about four billion uh, references to printed yellow pages, basically people opening up and looking at it and picking something um, still in America today. Now, compare that to about 15 years ago. One point, there was about 15 billion references, so like sort of four times as much. And revenue-wise, it was about a $12 billion industry. So again, now it's like one. So it was a much, much bigger industry not long ago, but you could say the same about newspapers or other printed products. Um, and as you say, most of that or a lot of that has migrated online. Uh, and some of that revenue has also gone away because, you know, media business you know they talk about trading dollars for dimes you know in many cases now the um the cost of media has 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 dropped uh because there are so many other ways to reach people and it's and it's also cheaper in many cases to reach people so you know a dollar that's lost by a newspaper or a yellow page doesn't automatically transmit or transfer into a dollar um you know to another company online but so let me just go go back as you asked um real quick about uh yellow pages so um, when I got to our company, Yellow Book, back in 2000, it was a big business and it was controlled by the phone companies. Um, there were divisions of the phone companies who printed Yellow Pages, you know, Verizon Yellow Pages, Southwestern Bell Yellow Pages, AT&T Yellow Pages, and so forth. Um, and we were, Yellow Book was an independent competitor. We weren't attached to a telephone company. And the telephone companies uh, or their divisions had um, kind of monopolized the business for like decades and decades. And like most monopolies, they um, got kind of fat and lazy a little bit. Uh, they charged very, very high prices. Uh, and they didn't provide great service. And so we were able to come in and we sort of saw ourselves as like the Southwest Airlines of the industry, um, kind of the uh, challenger brand. We didn't necessarily want to um, invent a new category. We were very happy to steal the business from the phone companies uh, that they had. And so, um, you know, we turned, when I got there, we turned a you know, couple hundred million dollar company into a couple billion dollar company, um, got acquired by an international company called Yale, uh, which was based in London, took us public on the London Stock Exchange. It was a big success. And, you know, from a marketing perspective, uh, my goal was really to, first of all, put out a product that was better than the competition, which I think we did. We were much more innovative, willing to try new things. Um, it was to price it at a price that allowed us to basically undercut the competition again with the Southwest Airlines model. You know, think about what they did to do that, you know, cutting out some maybe frills and things, but still delivering a great product, getting you from point A to point B safely and on time. We tried to do the same thing. We tried to put out a great product with a great brand that got heavily used by the consumer. Um, we had good research to prove it worked. Um, we did things like monitoring phone calls, or we called it um, uh, call tracking, uh, and able to prove to the customer that he had or she had you know, X many calls that month. 
Uh, and um, it worked, you know, customers really loved it. They loved having a choice and uh, that's how we grew. So, um, you know, that was my, my, my role and focus back then. It was in some ways a simpler world online was starting to happen. And I did um, have a role in launching our, um, our online brand, which was called um, yellowbook.com. It was an internet yellow page and that too became quite successful. Uh, and uh, was there for a really long time as you know a very successful run um, fast forward to today um, it's a, a very different world obviously much more you know multimedia much you know print is still there but not as much of a force um, and people get information in so many different ways so you know of course we you know we still have to provide our small business customers ways to buy search we have to give them ways to buy social we have to give them ways to build websites uh, we do all those things and more um, but uh, and and there are other companies out there that do too uh, but we have found that the big kind of opportunity in the market um, is to move into the SaaS software space and so when you talk about transformation and the company and the role um, that's really been the journey when we are management team when we got to uh, um, our company five years ago, it used to be called Dex. And uh, along the way, we changed the name to Thrive as the software piece became more important. We really had to transform from what I would call legacy media into SaaS um, and also the go-to-market that I was talking about before. Um, and so we really now have almost like two segments of our business, a SaaS software business um, and sort of a legacy media business, which is part digital, part print. Um, and we found ways to glue these together too, because customers still need leads. They still need their phone to ring and we do that. Um, but what's different now is we take those leads and we actually inject them into the software. So if you're looking at your phone as a Thrive customer, you automatically have your CRM populated with all the leads we just generated for you. And you can automatically communicate um, with those customers through email, text, and uh, start to you know, work on the projects. When you were doing Yellow Book, so, you know, roughly that was like 2001 to 2008-ish, right? Um, you're talking about, you know, dot-com bubble kind of burst right then and, you know, a little hesitancy on the digital media side. But like you said, there were kind of just no innovations happening within Yellow Pages, right? It was just like there wasn't really a lot of stuff that was going on. And um, I remember, so a, a buddy of mine, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know who he worked for, but he worked for, um, he's doing sales, uh, for, for, you know, a yellow pages, uh, you know, type company. And he was, he was telling me that he was like, we had it down to a science of like the, the value add from an eighth of a, you know, or from a one eighth ad to a one fourth ad to, a, you know, to a half page to a full page, like what you got, the differences, all those sort of things. Um, it's like our sales team was so equipped to handle every single conversation when it came to like why someone should choose to work with us. And he's like, it's funny because, you know, selling media products now for publishers or, or whatever is so much more complex on the actual sales rep. He's like, it's nowhere close. Like the, the level of complexity is just so big and there's just so much more confusion around buying. So it's just all of it is a much more confusing sale. And I always thought that that was such an interesting thing because you would never... 
if you weren't in the business, if you weren't buying marketing back then, you would, you know, you would not really kind of understand the idea of, you know, maybe you don't understand why print was so important, but you definitely wouldn't know if you're rooted in digital that you could quantify the difference between a half page and a full page or things like that. And I always thought that that was just, um, I always thought that was such an interesting lesson for marketers that even things that don't feel like they can be quantified, um, you know, those things were being quantified and figured out. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting the way you describe that. You know, people, I, I, I often get in these discussions about advertising and, you know, there's, there's, the world of brand advertising and image advertising, uh, which is much harder to quantify, if at all, in some cases. And there's the world of that we live in for the most part, which is uh, quantifying your spend in order to generate leads for your business. When I talk about leads, I usually either mean you know, a phone call or increasingly it's like a form fill online or it can be like somebody you know clicking on a map to find your store or warehouse. Um, but some action that results in a sale. And that's, as I say, that's kind of more of the world we live in because most small businesses, that's, you know, that's what they're looking for is how can I spend my money to generate leads that'll turn into sales? Um, and increasingly you can quantify that. Uh, obviously online, pretty much everything is trackable. Um, but we also, as I mentioned, have ways to track um, phone calls uh, because you can put in what we call a metered line, a special phone number that maybe appears in the ad. When that when a consumer calls that line, um, that line forwards to the business's sort of regular phone number. And in that transfer, we can capture the call when it happened, where did it come from? Uh, and we can even record the call that happens. And so we can play back for the customer how the staff answered the call. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can do uh, to um, inform the business about how their advertising is working. And at the end of the day, we tell them that's that's really what you should be measuring is your cost per lead. Um, because, you know, for most businesses, you're, you're selling something that has X value and you want to generate the customer at Y value. And hopefully the X is bigger than the Y. Um, and as we've educated them about that, they get smarter because, for example, a lot of businesses think what they're supposed to do is advertise on Google or Facebook because their kid says you're a dinosaur. You got to be on Google or Facebook. And it turns out that, um, I mean, I know a lot about Google advertising and obviously it's you know, the world's most popular search engine and they get a tremendous amount of traffic. Nobody's going to argue with that. But because the auction model is so efficient, um, the bid prices for popular keywords is up and up and up and up. And so businesses who want to be found for, you know, keywords like plumbing or pizza, as we were talking about before, you know, they often pay a lot. And, um, you know, the cost per lead in some of these categories, particularly the really expensive categories like certain uh, medical specialties or legal specialties, um, you know, they can be spending hundreds of dollars per keyword per click in metropolitan areas. And so trying to make money on that click is pretty hard. And we have ways to deliver them leads that are much more efficient, including in print, by the way, um, because print is seen as sort of, you know, out of vogue. Um, the cost of print advertising has gone way down. And yet, as I said, you know, there's still people who use it. Uh, basically, f people who are over 55, homeowners um, who live in sort of suburban or rural areas, you know, have a fence, have a roof that needs fixing, have a dog. Um, they spend money on stuff. And advertisers who reach those people, you know, do really well, and it's a pretty efficient way. So it's not as simple as just saying, oh, you know, what's, what's a popular media today? Yeah, and I think that this is where like much like your yellow book story, where I think that 
marketers are looking for like an edge. They're looking for ways to make a difference. Um, and, you know, when you see kind of a gap in advertising, you know, dollars that's that's not that the market is kind of shifted focus on that those are the things you should be looking to exploit it's not always new channels it's sometimes old channels that you can kind of recycle one of the things i was thinking about recently um my buddy it was raining a bunch here in the in the bay area and uh my buddy was devastated that uh his copy of uh his like engineering uh, periodical that he gets because he's an engineer and it's like, you know, their, their trade, you know, whatever. And he's like, no, it got destroyed by the rain. And I was like, you actually read that? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, you know, he's a young guy. I would have never thought that he would sit there and, you know, uh, and, you know, hang out with a magazine for, for an hour, but he does, you know, once a quarter or whatever it is. And I, and I always think about that of like the utility of the thing is more important than, the channel. And I think that that's what we get so wrapped up in is like the channel as, well, I need, I can't do print or I have to do Facebook ads or, you know, whatever it is, um, that it's more about the utility of the thing that you're delivering and where you're, where you're putting your brand than it is about, you know, channel per se. Yeah, absolutely true. I think about that when we go to a lot of these trade shows, um, you know, it's, it's sort of amazing to me in this, uh, you know, iPhone era that, people show up at events, you know, it's so expensive. Why don't you just do all the research online, right? It's like right at your fingertips. And yet, you know, you probably go to trade shows. I go to quite a few of them. It's amazing. There's like thousands of people there. So, you know, there are other ways to reach people. Uh, and there still seems to be some desire for this face-to-face -face contact um, that, you know, are uh, over and above just the normal online advertising that most people do. I'm curious, what are some of your favorite campaigns that you've done over the years? It doesn't have to be for Thrive, but um, just some fun marketing campaigns. Uh, it could be ad campaigns or otherwise that you've done that you really loved. Oh, boy, that's a fun one. Uh, so the very first campaign we ever did at Yellow Book um, was based around the tagline, Yellow Book, not the other book, because we um, had this big confusion going on that was... You know, there was this big giant Verizon in our markets and a couple of other ones, Bell South. Uh, and we were this sort of little independent upstart. And so we were trying to just make people aware that there were more than one because everybody thought it was just sort of this generic thing like Kleenex. And so we created this yellow book, not the other book campaign. And we, uh, the spot, the first spot was a focus group where the focus group moderator was asking um, the attendees, um, you know, which book do you use? And they would put out our book and the competing book. And of course, everybody in the um, focus group said, yellow book, yellow book, that's the one I use. And um, they were all very cute little characters. We had some little old ladies and stuff. It was, it was really sweet. And uh, everybody chuckled. And, and, and in the, at the end of the spot behind the glass were two guys from the phone company who were seeing this bad stuff happening. And they were like, does anybody know about this? Just us, you know, <laughs> and, it was, and they were like, uh, you know, don't let anybody know. And, uh, and, 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 and it was really, it was really funny. And that was, that was a really good, um, that was a really good campaign. We, we, we ran a bunch of them. We, we had a kind of a, a an older demo, a younger demo, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a group, you know, a variety of, you know, different uh, attendees because it, it, it really worked pretty well. Um, and it served the purpose, you know, people start realizing there was two different. Um, another one we did years later 
um, was with a guy who's no longer alive, David Carradine. You, you may remember David Carradine. Yeah. RIP. Yeah, RIP, exactly. He had a very uh, sort of sad um, demise. But, um, you know, he was the, the guru uh, from a, you know, 60s TV show. Uh, and uh, he, he played the role of guru in this spot. And um, he, uh, you know, spoke about our, our book and, um, you know, why it was, you know, wise decision to use this product. And uh, because he had great name recognition, he was a great actor that got a lot of attention as well. So we've had a few, a few fun ones. How much, how, A, how expensive was he? And like, you don't have to share exact numbers. And B, you know, we see a lot of this. It's, you know, uh, this will air sometime after the Super Bowl, but we're right before Super Bowl weekend here. And uh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of nostalgia advertising right now. Um, so, so I'm curious because um, this is something that some folks are extremely expensive to get, other folks not so much. Um, but I'm curious, like, what what was it that made that work? Yeah. Well, on the cost side, you know, we don't do today as much uh, or nearly as much mass media as we used to. It used to be more efficient to spend money on mass media. There weren't as many com- competing media. People weren't streaming and DVRing everything. People weren't staring at their phones all day. Uh, people actually watch TV real time. Uh, now, the only thing people watch real time anymore is sports, especially the Super Bowl. That's partly why it's so expensive. So it was more efficient in those days. And we did need to kind of build a brand. And so we used uh, TV. Although it can be expensive, I mean, you're—I would say at least, you know, back then anyway, your typical spot, like for a real good, you know, first-tier spot, would be like maybe half a million dollars. Um, but you often spend a lot more than that on the media. Um, you know, a big national TV campaign. You know, I'm not even talking about what you know Budweiser or Toyota spent. I mean, a big national TV campaign can easily spend you know five, ten million dollars. You know, and 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 those. Those kinds of companies are spending, you know, multiples of that. Um, so the media cost way outweighs the creative cost. Um, and even hiring a, you know, big name actor like David Carradine, um, it's still relatively, uh, you know, less expensive, you know, than again than the media cost. But um, so that's why we did it. Now, was he like a spokesman or was it a spot? And like, what, did you? Could have used him as more like a spokesman, but we didn't. Um, we used him, you know, in a, in in you know, it was a TV spot, um, and it worked because in in his case, you know, again, great recognition. So we got sort of noticed for that, and we sort of spoofed a little bit on his prior role that he had played on TV many years before. So you know, we got we got noticed, and and our goal at that time was to establish our credibility as a company. Um, and, you know, when you have a large sales force like we did and like we do today, um, that kind of brand recognition is really helpful because when the salesperson shows up at the customer's door, uh, the customer says, who are you with? And you say the name of the company you work for and they've heard of you because they saw you on TV last night. So it makes the initial conversation easier for the salesperson to sort of get in the door. Speaking of Salesforce, This podcast is sponsored by Salesforce. Marketing Trends, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. You can learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Check them out. If you've been listening to Marketing Trends for a long time, go check out salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Gordon, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, 
what is your favorite pizza? I have a local pizza place near me called Felicia's. Uh, it's, it's just in this town outside Philly. And uh, they make really great uh, pizza, uh, a lot of spinach and tomato. And uh, I love their pizza. What app on your phone is the most fun? Well, the one I probably use the most these days, regrettably, is the American Airlines app because I'm just flying a lot. <laughs> um, so I don't know if that's the most fun. Um, I, uh, I like the Wall Street Journal app a lot because you know, I'm just sort of a news junkie. Again, because of the travel, I'm using the Uber app a lot, which I do think is really good. I guess fun is probably the health app. Uh, you know, I have one of those health apps and uh, you know, monitors everything your body does, which I try to pay attention to. So that's probably fun, I guess. What is your hidden talent or passion? Friendly with this guy, Howard Lerman, the CEO of Yex. He always says, what's your superpower? You know, I, I think the thing that makes me, you know, allows me to have the success I've had is, is frankly, just persistence. Um, I'm just very persistent. You know, people tend to give up quickly when they get frustrated or things don't go their way. And I, I just tend to stick with things. Um, so I really think, you know, kind of hard work and persistence has been very important to my career. Uh, and passion, um, you know, I guess it's trite, but outside of, you know, work, uh, it's really been my family for the best 20, 25 years. I've a wife and three wonderful boys uh, who are now a little bit older, uh, sort of late teens, early 20s. And, you know, I've, I've really uh, found great joy in uh, just hanging out with them. How about an ad spot that you're jealous of? I think, you know, like with most things they've done, Apple has been really um, creative and cutting edge in terms of how they've uh, advertised. You know, Steve Jobs was good at, you know, a lot of things and advertising was one of them. And I think just their simplicity. Uh, is eye-catching because usually that's you know not what people do is they try to say too much, and uh, I think Apple's campaigns um, right up to this day have been pretty remarkable. Favorite TV show or podcast that you're watching or listening to? We've gotten very into um, streaming, you know, a lot of these series is, and we watched oh gosh, you know, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Billions, uh, in the old days, Homeland, The Affair. Those are a few we've. Uh, watch that I've really liked. In terms of podcasts, there's a guy I listen to a lot called Ben Shapiro. He's a he's a really smart, uh, uh, opinionated guy, but very, very smart, great podcaster. I listen to him a lot. Uh, and I have been listening a lot on the business side to a show called Pivot, which features Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher. Scott's a guy I met through business and uh, they talk a lot about tech. So I listen to theirs. That's it. That's all we got. Thanks for coming by, Gordon. Any, uh, any final thoughts? No, this has been great. I, uh, uh, I've never met anybody as interested in Yellow Pages as you. So this has really been refreshing. Hey, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's a lost uh, it's a lost art um, to figure out things like that. I think that you know, pressure forms the diamond, and I feel like because there was so much, um, so little proof of things back then that I th feel like you're looking back. We just feel like everything is, you know, snake oil. It's like, well, all print ads were snake oil and all this is snake oil. And it's like, no, it wasn't that way. There was a rigor to that sort of stuff that I think is lost a little bit. Um, in how specifically, I mean, no shots at agencies here, but, um, you know, part of their job was to show people what the heck their money was doing. Um, and so, you know, as people shift spend away from agency, 
you know, it, it that falls somewhere in between. And a lot of times that falls onto marketers. And I think being able to tell the story of why you spend the money and how you do experiments and things like that and figuring out creative ways to do it. I think the best marketers do that stuff. Um, and just to say, hey, I don't do print or I don't do yellow pages because that's a relic of the past probably isn't isn't you're not flexing your or, you know, using your whole toolkit. So anywho, fascinating stuff. Uh, well, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.